Hello, I'm Debbie George Addis. Thank you for joining me today on America Can We Talk. We're going to talk about what Candace Owens had to say about Joe Biden's announcement, race in America, Blexit versus Biden, and the synagogue murder, New York Times, and Holocaust Remembrance Week declared by President Trump, and why these matter to you. Stay tuned. Debbie Georgiatis, host of America Can We Talk, is an author, attorney, and political analyst whose mission is to inspire the American political conversation about preserving liberty in the best country on earth. Hello, and thank you again for joining me. I'm Debbie Georgiatis. Well, we talked last week, I think on Thursday, about the fact that uh, former Vice President Biden had made his announcement. He is running. He's joining the very uh, big Democrat field running for president in 2020. I talked last week on Thursday about the one point, pretty much the only point that Joe Biden made in his entire announcement. And that was, he said he was compelled, impelled to run for president based on one statement he attributed to Donald Trump. And that statement related to the Charlottesville, Virginia riots surrounding a, uh, a controversy over whether or not to remove a Civil War era statue. I explained last week that President Trump, in response to this rally, gave rather extended remarks. But I want to tell you a couple of things that really, really matter, then turn to what Candace Owens had to say about it. But to start with, the rally was, or the controversy was about whether or not to remove Civil War era statues around the country. It's an issue around the country. Since that time, two different states at least have passed laws, state level laws, saying statues related to American history will not be removed. And so there is a, it's an ongoing issue, I guess, both sides of the aisle. But the point is, when this controversy arose in Charlottesville, Virginia, it was a controversy over whether or not to remove the statue of Robert E. Lee that has stood in Charlottesville for I don't even know how many years, I'm sure over 100 years. What I have on our website now, you can go to read if you would like, are the remarks that Donald Trump made at a press conference related to Charlottesville. What he was talking about was there are good people on both sides of the question. Good people who think that all Civil War, Civil War era statues that honor anyone who fought on the South or honor the Southern side should be removed, including it's mostly Robert E. Lee statues, and other people who say this is a dangerous thing to do in, in a country to begin to erase your history. That is what Donald Trump was commenting on, the two sides of the question. Because the press conference was the way it was, there was, a, you'll see if you go to my website and read the transcript, people interrupting the president, yelling questions, and oftentimes this person trying to create the transcript types out unintelligible uh, voice, voiceover, crossover voices, making the point that there was a lot of yelling back and forth. The point is that the left was able to extract People who, are, who don't like Donald Trump were able to extract from that speech, cobbled together the argument that Trump had said there were good people who were part of the white supremacist tiny segment of that whole controversy. And that's not what he said. And the reason I want to come back to it today is it's not only that President Trump did not say there are good people who are white supremacists. He said nothing 
of the kind. He said nothing like that. He denounced racism. He denounced bigotry. He denounced all of the things you would want him to denounce. I also put up, by the way, on our website, AmericaCanWeTalk.org, a piece that was written uh, by Steve Cortez, who is a Hispanic CNN commentator, a political commentator on CNN, who came out at the time and wrote a piece again recently saying, President Trump did not say there were good people or fine people among the neo-Nazi white supremacists. He said nothing like that. Now I want to turn, turn to Joe Biden and put, tell you how problematic his candidacy is, how problematic his announcement speech was. Joe Biden knows everything I just told you. Joe Biden has access to all of the, he has leagues of people working for him. He has access to the original speech. He has access to the press conference notes. He has access to the articles written. He knows that President Trump did not say about Charlottesville or any other time that there were good and fine people among white supremacists. He knows that President Trump never said that. And yet, of all of the things he could have talked about in announcing his run for the presidency, he didn't talk about the dozens and dozens of issues that really do matter. All he talked about, he built his entire announcement speech around that lie. But I want to ask you to think a little more deeply about what it says about him and his character and his morals, his ethics, his very character that he would have chosen to make this the theme, a lie, the theme of his announcement speech. Number one, he is simply virtue signaling, dog whistling to the left wing media that he will continue to perpetuate the lie they created. He is telling the media, he is telling the masses on the American left that he will continue to perpetuate the lie that President Trump praised white supremacists. Number two, he is signaling to the Americans around this country, and it's not just black Americans, it's black Americans, it is Americans of every background who are easily manipulated and will not learn the facts themselves. He is signaling to them that he knows the truth He's telling them the truth, and he is counting on them to become outraged. He is encouraging them to become outraged over a lie. He is encouraging them to spread the word, to get as angry, outraged, and, and um, just anti-Trump as they could possibly be. He is trying to foment division. He is trying to feed ignorant people. And again, it's not just um, African-Americans or black Americans. It is uninformed voters of every race and background trying to tell them that what he's telling them is the truth because he's counting on their ignorance, which leads me to my third point. He is telling you, he is telling every voter in America that he counts on low information, uninformed voters to rally around him because he's willing to continue to perpetuate a lie the media made up, the Democrat Party made up. He is willing and, in fact, determined to base his political campaign 
on perpetuating a lie, and he is telling you that he thinks there are enough voters in this country who will not find out the facts, who are easily manipulated, who are ignorant, that you, that he can get them to back him. That, that is his campaign. It is outrageous. There should not be an American in this country who would vote for him given what he has done in this announcement speech. And in just a moment, I'm going to turn to a clip from Candace Owen. But I'll tell you that yesterday, here in Dallas, I had the great opportunity to attend the Blexit rally, and that is the Black and Latina exit from the Democrat Party. This is a movement started by Candace Owens. She is part of Turning Point USA. She also has headed up, she's spearheaded, she created this Blexit movement, Black and Latina exit from the Democrat Party. She, this rally was so fun, and after the break, I'm going to turn to talking with you, or after the next segment, I'm going to turn to talk to you about what happened yesterday at Blexit in Dallas. It was a great event. But right now, I want to play for you what Candace Owens had to say about Joe Biden's announcement speech when she spoke at the NRA rally just last week. Here is Candace Owens. I've learned from these experiences that Democrat leaders create noise and nonsense to distract from their own sins. They employ the idea that you should accuse the other side of exactly what you are guilty of. They do this consistently. They do this repeatedly. And they do this in lockstep with one another. For example, yesterday, Joe Biden, in a stunning announcement, declared his candidacy for president of 2020 because he felt that our nation was at risk because of white supremacy. Joe mentioned the Charlottesville attacks again, the one where our president clearly and specifically condemned both Nazis and white supremacists, words which the media carefully edited out. But Joe says that that's the moment, Charlottesville, that's the moment that he realized that he had to step up and save the nation. Now, why would Joe do that? Why would Joe Biden suggest that he needed to step out as an act of duty to protect black Americans? What is it that Joe Biden is distracting from when he insinuates that all of the freedom-loving American patriots who stand beside this president are somehow supporting a white supremacist agenda? I think I have a couple of ideas what he might be distracting from. Joe is distracting from his very own and very questionable history with black America. You see, it was Joe Biden that advocated for segregation in the 1970s. He said it was something that black people wanted, that it was best that we remain apart in society. It was Joe Biden that wrote and championed the crime bill in 1994, which led to the mass incarceration of black men. And it was Joe Biden who to this day says that his mentor and dearest friend in politics is was Robert Byrd, a literal KKK member, a literal KKK member, Robert Byrd. So in closing for my first five today, I cannot encourage you strongly enough to read the comments President Trump made. If you have any doubt in your mind, read the comments he made, read, and you can go to our website, americacanwetalk.org, to read them, to see clearly that not only did President Trump, as Candace Owens just said, denounce racism, denounce white supremacism, denounce Nazism, as he has done over and over and over, but 
that information has been out there since the time of Charlottesville. The biggest takeaway from today's first five is to understand that Joe Biden, declaring his candidacy for presidency, attempted to, part, to perpetuate a malicious lie, a, a, a just a false characterization of the president. He is fomenting racial hatred. Biden is fomenting racial hatred in this country by premising his entire presidency on the lie he is telling you about Donald Trump. That should be sufficient to end Joe Biden's campaign. Turning to our next topic today, I want to talk with you today about the Blexit rally. I have to tell you, I had a blast. Blexit, again, the Black and Latina exit from the Democrat Party. This is, I think, the fifth Blexit um, event. I'm not sure. I know the first Blexit event that Candace Owens put together. I'm pretty sure the first one was in Los Angeles, the Globe Theater. She had you know, great speakers, an oversold crowd. It was just a great event. But she's basically doing a road show around the country, trying to stir up people in all parts of the country to think again, why is it that so many black Americans feel loyal and vote for the Democrat Party? They feel loyalty to and they vote for the Democrat Party regardless of the outcome of Democrat policies and the outcome of those policies, the impact in the black community. It was a, so she's had stellar events. I really enjoyed the event yesterday, the one in, in Dallas. I'm gonna play a little bit of a clip from that uh, in just a moment. But I'm gonna tell you the kinds of themes that were brought out at this, uh, this Blexit rally yesterday in Dallas. First of all, it was downtown, there were lots of people. It was fun. Um, I have got a bunch of pictures. Oh, by the way, if you're watching this on YouTube, I urge you to go to my Facebook page, America Can We Talk, because I did a live, uh, Facebook live streaming of most of the Blexit rally yesterday. I just, I had a front row seat, uh, which is very nice. I want to thank the Candace Owens people who invited me, gave me a press pass. It was very nice to get to go. In the front row, I ran a Facebook live feed during most of the presentations. And so you can watch them yourself if you'd like on my Facebook page. Again, America Can We Talk? Or if you're watching this on Facebook, you can scroll down and see. I couldn't get all of them in Facebook live stream, but a lot of them. But what I want to get at is that the, what I really want to inspire all of you to think about is this. What Candace Owens is doing and all the speakers she had is inspiring people to A, think for themselves, to not accept the arm-twisting, guilt-inducing rhetoric out of the left that tells black Americans and Hispanic Americans and women that they simply must vote with the Democrat Party. She is trying to expose the just perpetual ongoing manipulation by the Democrat Party that tries to instill belief in Americans that there is profound racism, profound sexism, profound intolerance, that we're a nation barely teetering on the edge of falling apart due to rampant racism, sexism, and intolerance of all kinds. This is the picture of America that the American left sends out all day, every day. And this is what Candace Owens is trying to help people see. She's trying to inspire people to see what kind of country is this really? Why would any party think they own the Democrat vote, the women's vote, the Hispanic vote, all sorts of other minority votes. Why would any party 
operate on the hyphenated America, plop everyone into silos, declare ownership over those silos, she's really inspiring people to go back to the idea of the founding of America, the belief in the individual, the individual's ability and right to think, to read, to reason, to process, to live their life, to fulfill their dreams in the American dream, in the free market economy created by the freedom America gives. So I'm just gonna run through. So again, all these speakers were stellar. I, I could not, what I'm gonna play for you at the end, by the way, I'm just gonna give you a brief, uh, just a little bit about each of the speakers I really, really liked. And then at the end, I'll tell you that well, among the inspiring things there was, there were two young women, two young black women, and um, I think they're probably in their early or mid 20s or so. They were doing it, I happened to go back in the back to actually to purchase something, but they were standing there doing a selfie video they have their video thing going and they're just doing, and they're going back and forth talking away about how happy they were to be at Blexit. And they came, they came there, they came to Blexit all the way from Massachusetts. They came to Dallas for the Blexit rally and they were there to say how much they love hearing someone inspiring young black Americans to, to believe in themselves, to believe in their abilities, to believe in their, their ability to make their way in life. They were inspired by someone telling young black Americans to believe in America, to love America, to see America as a land of opportunity, not the picture created by the American left, which I just described a moment ago. But let me run through, and I'm, I'm telling you this because I want to say, I really want to just you know, burrow in on the concept that the picture of America that Joe Biden tried to paint in, in his, uh, his uh, announcement to run for president. So it's what, he, what Biden tried to say about America. Because when he says, when he attacks President Trump and says, oh, President Trump said, you know, he, he uh, was okay with or there were good people uh, among the white supremacists. Joe Biden is not just accusing President Trump of, of that evil thought falsely accusing President Trump of the evil thought. He's accusing all of Trump's supporters, all of Trump's voters, all conservatives. He's accusing all of America of that ugliness. It is just, I can't tell you how sinister Biden's announcement was, but back to Blexit, the contrast between the picture of America, the messages of hope and opportunity and goodness were simply, and also the idea of individual responsibility and individual worth and individual inspiration. They were, it was just an, an overwhelmingly positive event. This Blexit event was, I'll tell you just a few things. One was Candace Owens who just was rocking it. She was so good. She was just engaging and inspiring and fun. Um, her fiance was there, George Farmer. If you don't know this, Candace Owens, who founded Blexit, is engaged to George Farmer, a Brit who is very active and a leader among the British movement called Brexit, which is the British exit from the um, European Union. Very similar ideas. He was there yesterday, charming young guy. I interviewed him. I'm saving that for another day. But Candace Owens was brilliant. She was upbeat, positive, happy. She had uh, among the speakers, Brandon Tatum, fabulous speaker. He was on the points and he did a just, a, I can't even tell you how moving presentation about the idea that to restore uh, economic equality in the black community, what we need is a return to unique and, and to intact family units in the black community. 
He pointed out the destruction of the black family flowing directly from Democrat policies, flowing directly from the creation of the great society under Lyndon Baines Johnson, the creation of a society where fatherhood was abandoned, the state, the government steps in as the father. He talked directly about policies out of Washington that encouraged dependence on the government had destroyed the black family. He talked very directly to the young black men in the audience about the idea that part of our job is to stay with our families, to be part of the lifting the black community up in this country by encouraging others to stay with your families, to build and create intact family units in the black community. He was inspiring. Then Brandon Tatum, by the way, he's inspiring for a bunch of reasons, but um, he is actually, okay, I think he's the guy from Fort Worth. There are many speakers and I can't talk about all of them. I think he's more from Fort Worth, but he had moved to Arizona. He was a police officer in uh, Phoenix or, um, if police officer somewhere in Arizona, he has, you know, he's a big guy, he's a big strapping athletic guy. He told a story about his dad. Yeah, he is one from Fort Worth. Told a story about his dad who had been a, a, a Fort Worth um, firefighter and how he, Brandon Tatum, had talked to his dad about the racism that seemed to exist uh, that he saw around him. And he said, you know, we should, you know, don't you ever speak up about it? And, and the dad had said to him, you know what? I go to work every day, I, I work hard, and I've told, because he said there was some racism in the Fort Worth Fire Department. Remember this is 30 years ago, 40 years ago. There was some racism in the Fort Worth Fire Department, said Brandon Tatum's dad, but he said to him, I tell them, I'm gonna work hard, I'm gonna do my job, I'm gonna move up, and someday I'm going to be your boss. And he was. Brandon Tatum's dad, through the, you know, instead of indulging the grievance industry, succeeded, thrived, and became the boss of the ones who used to be, uh, some of them who used to be unkind to him. That's just one little story, many little stories, but Brandon Tatum was just awesome talking about the idea that we have so much power. He's speaking to the black community, the people, the, the black members of the audience, saying we have so much power to help our own community by being part of it, by creating families and staying with them, having intact family unit. He was inspiring. I mean, people were clapping while he was talking. He was awesome. They also had Dinesh D'Souza there yesterday. Dinesh D'Souza spoke. Again, you can hear his, all of his remarks on my Facebook page, America Can We Talk. I think I had to divide his in half because it was getting long. I wasn't sure it would post. But Dinesh D'Souza was just stellar talking about the history of the Democrat Party and how the Democrat Party has forever been since its inception and up until today, the party of racism. That the Democrat Party is the party that supported slavery. The Republican Party was formed to end slavery. The Democrat Party was the party of creating the Jim Crow laws in the South. The Democrat Party was the party that created the segregated South. The Democrat Party was the party that created the KKK. He also put to bed the myth that some apologists for the Democrat Party will 
tell you that, oh yeah, that's true, the Democrats were the really, really bad actors in racism, but everything switched in the, in the South and, and the party switched roles. And he obliterates that lie with three simple facts, which I am not gonna recount right now. I urge you to go listen to his speech, but he points out that as a complete fabrication, covering up the fact it is still today the Democrat party that is the party of racism. The Democrat party whose policies keep black Americans down. The Democrat party that pushes and pushes expansion of government assistance programs that keep more and more people out of the American dream, keep more people dependent on government, more people out of the American dream of self-reliance, entrepreneurship, and the success of the, our free market economy. He was Dinesh D'Souza, simply stellar. A lot of history I can't recount. He was just great. Last person, okay, two other people I want to mention who talked. Uh, one was a guy named Will Witt. I hadn't heard of him before, but he talks a lot about cult cultural appropriation. I think we're losing our sound here. Are we okay in sound here, my happy producer? I've lost sound in my mics. Anyway, so Will Witt was another speaker. Will Witt talked about the of what cultural appropriation means. And cultural appropriation is he gave examples. He had little videos of himself. He had dressed up, for example, in one of those really, really big Mexican sombreros and one of those Mex uh, the things you can buy in Mexican markets, the, the kind of blankets that serve also as like a, it's not a cape, but you know that thing I'm talking about. So he would go into college campuses with someone with a video camera and say, and he's obviously blonde, blue eyed, he's, he's not Mexican. So asking all these college students, what do you think? What do you think about my um, my outfit, my <laughs> my getup? And they told him they were very, very um, uh, critical of him, denouncing him, saying, this is cultural appropriation. You are, you are not Mexican. You can't dress up like that. You can't dress in that. So then he goes down to the, in the same town where the college was, goes down to a Mexican market where there were people who had set up a Mexican market selling sombreros and the cape kind of thing and all sorts of other things that are symbolic of Mexican heritage who are actually Mexican, the, the vendors in this market, and said to them, what do you think about my outfit? And they all said, we love it. You want to buy another one? I mean, it was just, it was so funny. He was pointing out it's white liberals and liberalism in this country that gets all bent out of shape about cultural appropriation when actually people who actually love their culture, love the symbols of their culture, the clothing, the, the food, the, any symbols of their culture, that people who actually are of that culture love to share it that the cultural appropriation thing is just a tactic by the American left, by white liberals who like to attack people uh, and find all sorts of reasons to claim offense, to claim that people are offending people who are minorities. So he, he was really interesting. The last guy I'll mention who spoke at Blexit, also stellar, and I hadn't heard of him before. His name is David uh, J. Harris. He wrote a book called Author of Why I Couldn't Stay Silent. To summarize, he is a black man, he's Christian, he's married, he's got, I think they have two adult daughters, but his basic, this is a room full, it was the most moving and uplifting event. These are people who love America, love freedom, and this guy brought in love of God and God's place in American culture, America's founding, the very identity of America. So as David J. Harris essentially talked about the need to stop divorcing in politics. You have America here and Judeo-Christian history here, but basically to be more open and acknowledging that America 
has its greatness in great part due to Judeo-Christian values, due to the values that created this country. And he basically talked about the need to cultivate a closer and more trusting relationship in God. It was stellar. Last thing I'm gonna do on this topic is play this clip. These are these two young ladies. They were in the back of the room doing their little selfie video. I said, hey, wait, let me, and I didn't have a video camera. I just had my, um, I just had my recording microphone. So I, I, incredibly wonderful producer, Matt, is going to put them on. You're going to hear from these two young ladies from Matt, came from Massachusetts to come to this Blexit rally. Ooh, game changer. So another interview from the Blexit Rally here in Dallas, Texas. What are your names? Hi, my name is Wendy Bellevue. Agnes Hatz. So I walked by you earlier. You both were, I think you were doing a little uh, selfie video yeah. podcast. Yeah. You're so exuberant. So tell me, what are you, why are you so happy? What are you so excited about? Why are you so excited about Blexit? Well, I'm excited about Blexit because I love how empowering it is. I'm very, very much empowered. I love meeting other people who are empowered because in living in a blue state, Massachusetts, you find a lot of liberals who love victim mentality and they love reveling in it. And I just, I, it, it doesn't suit me at all. I love being empowered. I love being in control of my life. And I love being around people who feel the same way. Well, for me, the whole deal is the mindset of being free. Yes. Blackset is about freedom. Yes. I've ne I, I was never a slave. Yep. I wasn't born into slavery, okay? My mother was never a slave. I don't know about any white person alive today who was a slave owner. Mm -hmm. So for the Democratic Party to sit and tell me as a black person, because I'm black, that means I am a slave, that is a no-no. Yes. And that is one reason why I love this particular moment that's going on right now. Mm -hmm. America is about freedom, okay? America is about going out and doing things for yourself. Exactly. The Democratic Party tells me I can't do that because I'm black. Mm -hmm. Well, guess what? I work. I've never had issues getting jobs, okay? Mm -hmm. I've never been fired in my life. Oh, every time I go in there, they don't tell me, well, you're black, so no, over here. No. And this is why I'm over here. Black said it's about freedom. It's about giving us, everybody, be it black, white, pink, purple, blue, Mm -hmm. It's about giving you your voice and your freedom. Exactly. And you that's why I'm here. And what's interesting is that the blacks of today would not last would not last a day, not even an hour, in real racist racism that happened in the past. There's a woman who had who wanted to a black woman, I forgot her name now, but she wanted to be a doctor. And it was like during the 1950s. They made her wait outside and take notes standing up. She couldn't even come in the classroom. Black people nowadays, you have Jordans, you got affirmative action, you got like like government housing, and you're still complaining. No, 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 not today. Not oh. today. Now not let's, today. let's talk about this here, okay? The notion about, is it the, the game, the rap, rapper? Rap, I don't rap. do rap music, the, the game. So the game came out and said, black people needed to move back to Africa. Well, I'm asking him, dude, which, which, where? Pick a country in Africa and I'll buy you a plane ticket. Right. Because guess what? I was born and raised in Africa. You wouldn't live a day in Africa, any country in Africa. Let me tell you right now. So hey, by the way, the game, I will take you out on your um, offer. Pick a country and I will buy your ticket. Yep. One way ticket, by the way, you can come back. So, suddenly they're silent. I don't know why. It's crazy. Suddenly they're silent. They don't want to go back to Africa anymore once you actually call them on their bluff. It's interesting. Ladies, thank you so very much. Great talking to you. Thank, thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank, thank you. you.
Okay, I know it's a little bit noisy in the background there. That was at the back of the room at a, a kind of a brief break, and you could hear they were starting to begin the program again with these ladies. And there were a lot of people like that there. This is why I was just so happy to be there, because what they're really saying is we don't want enslavement to the government. We don't want reliance on the government. We can make our way. We want to be respected in the political culture in America, respected for our ability to be self-reliant, to find jobs, to move forward. They're tired of the classification by the American left of any group they want to attack as your victims. And this is really what the conduct is, the attitude of the American left is, is to tell many, many different groups, growing number of groups all the time, that they are victims, that their only possible way of surviving in America is to buy into the Democrat Party message of agree you're a victim and let us take care of you. These women were saying, no, we're strong, we're free, we're smart, we love freedom, we love liberty, we want to be in the side of liberty. Folks, this Blexit thing, I'm telling you, I think you can probably find the whole rally somewhere online. But you can all definitely find on my, my um, Facebook page, you can find many of the uh, talks. It was just a stellar day. It just makes you smile to be an American. And that, my friends, is Blexit. And the last topic for today I want to turn to, and it's a very uh, serious and somber topic, but I wanted to talk about what happened um, in California, Poway, California, an attack on a synagogue, and really, again, how it relates back to what it means to be an American, what it means to stand up for America. So in, synagogue, in this uh, synagogue in Poway, California, very just outside of San Diego, um, a, a young man opened fire, completely unprovoked, you know, went in and, and, and shot people. Um, he ended up killing one woman, Lori Gilbert Kay. She, uh, and actually this all happened on Saturday, which was the last day of Passover. And so everyone, I assume in attendance at the, at the uh, synagogue were there too, because it was the last day of Passover and, and you go to church, it's like the, you know, it's like it's holy seasons in any religion. You, you want to uh, go to services at the synagogue. So young man opens fire in the synagogue, kills this uh, woman and injures other people. I want to start by showing, playing a clip. The rabbi of that uh, mosque, I'm sorry, mosque, that's terrible. The rabbi of that synagogue is named Yisrael Goldstein. And Yisrael Goldstein, the rabbi of this, um, there, there he is right there, we'll hear him in just a moment. Um, the rabbi from this synagogue uh, tells what happened um, after the event was over and who he got a call from. Rabbi, can I ask you? Okay. As I was in my house, I received a personal phone call from our president, Donald Trump. I was amazed to answer the phone and say the secretary of the White House is calling. And he spent close to 10, 15 minutes with me on the phone. And it's the first time I've ever spoken to a president of the United States of America. He shared with me condolences on behalf of the United States of America. And we spoke about the moment of silence. And he spoke about his love of peace and Judaism and Israel. And he was just so comforting that I'm really grateful to our president for taking the time and, and making that effort to share with us his comfort and consolation. During that, um, his remarks, I love that President Trump called him. But what I want to talk about, I want to hit some actually really important points to think about in relation to this attack on the last day of Passover 
This was an attack in California, in a synagogue in Poway, California. There was also an attack, as you likely recall, several weeks ago in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. These are horrific things. The president is lovely that President Trump called him. But in fact, President Trump, I wanted to mention a couple other things he had done. President Trump had already declared um, the um, Holocaust Remembrance Week. That was April 28th to May 5th. And so he gave just really lovely remarks. President Trump did really lovely remarks upon about remembering about a Holocaust Remembrance Week in America, talked at, at length identifying the victims of the Holocaust, talked at length about the importance of, of tamping down, of speaking out against hate, speaking out against anti-Semitism. In fact, today happens to be uh, the anniversary of the United States Army's liberation of Nazis' Dachau concentration camp. So it's a great day to be talking about this. President Trump has shown friendship to Israel in a variety of ways. I mean, this Holocaust Memorial Week in America, which is April 28th until May 5th, so that's ongoing right now. Um, but he also had, and, and he called this rabbi from the Poway Synagogue, but he also has taken other steps to be extraordinarily friendly toward Israel. As we talked about in the show before, he was the president who finally agreed to move United States of America's embassy in Israel to Jerusalem, which is where the Israelis have always wanted it to be. Past presidents, gave lip service, said, yeah, we probably could think about that, but and didn't ever do it because they were afraid. They didn't want to encounter the attacks that may come, frankly, from leftists and from people around the world. For And then once President Trump showed the bravery of moving the, the uh, U.S. Embassy to Jerusalem, at least two other countries followed suit. President Trump has shown Israel extraordinary friendliness. He, friendly, friendliness. He, he's, he is America's best uh, president in terms of friendship with Israel they've ever had. He also agreed recently and talked about how, President Trump talked about how what we had to have in America, we were going to honor the Golan Heights as part of Israel. Now you can d agree or disagree on that policy, but he's again showing friendship to Israel. These are important things when you realize how the left and the Democrat media mob characterized what happened in Poway. There were many, many comments by people in the media essentially saying, well, you know, Trump has stirred up so much hatred and white nationalist hatred. No matter, you know, no, no wonder these things are happening after this horrific killing in the Poway synagogue. Mainstream media types all over the place. I have a, a montage. I'm not sure I'm going to play it or not because I hate to give them any oxygen. But many people in the mainstream media are trying to blame President Trump for these attacks in synagogues. And it couldn't be further from the truth. And this is why I really want to talk with you about it today. President Trump, in addition to showing the friendship to Israel and honoring their request for location of the embassy and honoring their request to um, to accept the Golan Heights as part of Israel, um, was is also the one who's spoken very articulately about the importance of ending anti-Semitism in this country and how it's important that we we can't we're not an anti-Semitic country. He's been pointing out how anti-Semitism is on the rise in Europe, on the rise in America, must be stopped. In fact, both the shooter at the Poway synagogue and the shooter at the Pittsburgh synagogue, both of those shooters had in their irrational postings on social media expressed hatred for Trump.
So the media hears these people expressing hatred for Trump, but they still, so, I mean, it's the craziest thing in the world. I'm getting at the idea there simply is not going to be any willingness on the, the part of mainstream media to give Trump credit for the friendliness, the friendship he has shown Israel. They will not do it. By contrast, by contrast, you have the Democrat Party, which has as a representative in Congress, Democrat representative from Minnesota, Ilhan Omar, who regularly, before she was in Congress and continuing while she's a, a Democrat member of the U.S. Congress, making anti-Semitic remarks. While I'm uh, getting ready to talk about her, there was the, the New York Times ran this really ugly anti-Semitic. I'll just show it quickly on the screen here. New York Times ran that cartoon showing Netanyahu as a dog, a very dog whistling symbol that anti-Semitic people do. They call Jews dogs. They've got Netanyahu's face as a dog leading around Trump who's apparently supposed to be blind with the uh, a yarmulke. Now, New York Times, be fair to them, apologize, that shouldn't, but that isn't an ugly, anti-Semitic, intolerably horrible thing they printed. This is the left-wing, Democrat-loving New York Times. Last point in this story, I think for today, is Ilhan Omar, in addition to the fact that she is a Democrat in Congress, makes anti-Semitic remarks all the time, anti-Israel remarks all the time, the Democrats, when finally pressed to say something about it, issued some watered-down, meaningless, gobbledygook condemnation of hate, which isn't the same thing as condemning her anti-Semitism. Because Ilhan Omar is Muslim, the Democrat Party is unwilling to criticize her for her anti-Semitism. They're willing to let it go. They're willing, by the way, to let her remain on the uh, the House, I think it's called the House Foreign Service Committee. Yeah, the um, she's, she sits on the committee in the House that has direct power over foreign policy when she is an admitted, open, relentless, un, for unapologetic anti-Semite. So you want to know where anti-Semitism lives in this country? is not on President Trump's team, is not on the Republican Party, is living on the Democrat side. And yes, she is still a member of the House Foreign Affairs Committee. Ilhan Omar, Democrats happy to keep her in office, keep her on that committee, despite her repeated anti-Semitism. And now, move to our closing and why all the stories we talked today, talked about today matter to you. First story of the day, Biden's race-baiting announcement. He knows Trump did not endorse white supremacism. He deliberately launched his campaign on a massive lie. It stokes up unjustified anger among Americans. It believes, he believes winning an American voting base, and he is pursuing winning a, a, a voting base of America because he thinks they're ignorant and deceivable. He is telling America, I think these people can be duped. That's why you should vote for me. I can lie to them and I'll lead them along, create racism and hostility and, and, and suspicion. And that is his plat platform in which he's urging you to vote for him. No American should want that kind of thinking in the White House.
Second story from today and why it matters to you. Blexit versus Biden. Just think about the difference in the spirit of Blexit, as I was describing to you, love of America, love of liberty, respect for the individual, urging return to the family, urging the and, and having intact family units that take care of their children, urging love of God, remembrance of God, urging people to love this country, to to be to honor themselves and be, treat themselves as individuals. Blexit empowers black Americans to think and vote as individuals. It affirms black Americans as intelligent and capable. It relies on appealing to intelligence, not deceit. It denounces the victimhood mentality and embraces freedom and responsibility. Blexit's prescription, Blexit's prescription will improve race relations. Biden's prescription will destroy race relations. Last point of today, anti-Semitism in America, Western civilization, the freedom of Europe, of America, the very culture of liberty we love in this country springs primarily from Judaism and Christianity, the Judeo-Christian culture. America was founded as and is a Judeo-Christian nation. History has shown, as we saw in Europe, anti-Semitism is a proxy for attitudes that are anti-Western civilization and anti-America. At its core, anti-Semitism is really about hatred of God. Anti-Semitism in America should deeply concern all Americans. And the party in Washington that supports it is the Democrat Party. They tolerate it. They cultivate it. They will not denounce it. I'm Debbie Georgiatis. This is America Can We Talk. We talk every week, Monday through Thursday, 3 p.m. Central Time, right here. And I urge you to support me if you can. Go to our Facebook page, like the page, share the links. If you're on YouTube, please subscribe to this channel. You can email me at americacanwetalk at gmail.com. And I urge you always to speak up for America, as I try to do every day, because America matters. Can we talk truth about America? Can you